about nine years old, eight years old. Who were you? What were you dreaming of? What were you doing? What were you playing with? What was your favorite cereal? <laughs> what a way to just dive right in. I love that. Uh, I was always a very creative kid. So I, I have half siblings, but I grew up mainly by myself. So I'm kind of an only child in that sense. And so I feel like I was very introspective and very creative. I loved being outside playing with animals and bugs and drawing and writing. I loved writing. I remember one of my projects when I was like nine was that I was working on a book of poetry. <laughs> so if that tells you anything about who I was as a kid, then um, that's that's a good glimpse at my life then. My favorite cereal, I I think I really liked, oh, Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks, Fruit Loops, all of those. Those were some of my faves. But yeah, I, um, I got along really well with the natural world. I think I struggled to fit in, especially in elementary school and really found myself more in high school and college. So back in the day, I was more of like the introspective kid who kind of felt like she was part of nature more than she was part of the human world. And were you watching cartoons? Were, was there shows that you liked as a kid? Yes. Uh, cartoons. I don't remember so much the cartoons I was watching, but I remember... Every day, the two random shows that I watched were Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Trading Spaces, which was like a home decor show that I would watch a lot. But I do think I watched Nickelodeon. Those are two top-notch shows now, Fresh Prince (laughs) and Trading Spaces. I know. I had good taste as a kid, I'm telling you. I feel like anybody who grew up in the 90s uh, watched the Fresh Prince. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. For me, it was like Martin, Fresh Prince, Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. Um, like, I mean, addicted to Power Rangers when it first mm-hmm. came out. Addicted. Like, me and my cousin, Jason, we used to record the we used to record the shows on the VCR. <laughs> and that. we would, like, play the VCR back on the weekend. We would play the tape back when we were just, like, hanging out. So we used to record them all. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I don't think kids now even know, you know, what the VCR is. <laughs> right. But, um, okay. And then you said you you found yourself a little bit more in high school and college. What mm-hmm. what does that mean? Um, I think I found my people, my sense of belonging more. I felt like I was kind of wandering through life for the first 15 to 18 years, sort of finding my place. And really a lot of that too was the belonging that I needed to create within myself. So I had, I didn't have that for a long time. I didn't feel like I belonged to myself or to other people. And so I found that a lot more when I was in high school and college where I found both people that I felt like I could be me around. And also I felt like I was uh, discovering the worthiness inside of myself at that time too. So there were a lot of shifts that happened around that period in my life. So as a, like a kid before high school, did you ever have like a best friend that you, you kind of clung to and that, that you hung out with? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I did. And I didn't, I would have best friends for a period of time. The, the best, best friend that I had before high school and in high school, I started to have a lot more really close friends. But before then there was this one girl that I was really close to in junior high. And I remember feeling like I'd finally kind of found my, my place. And 
uh, part of my story too is that I grew up mainly with a single mom and we grew up in uh, a neighborhood that was pretty far from my school and it was a pretty like low income neighborhood. And this friend that I had lived in this really nice, wealthy area and didn't know where I lived. And so one day she came over to our apartment to hang out and her mom picked her up and basically told her that she shouldn't hang out with people like me. And and that was kind of the end of our friendship because she didn't want her to hang out with somebody who was poor. And I remember that being a story for me for a long time of uh, that I'm not worthy of having friends because I'm I'm not good enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I don't have enough things that are, are uh, necessary for people like her to like me. So that was kind of my first experience having a really close friend pre-high school. And it was actually part of the reason why I went to the high school that I did. So I was telling you before the show that I went to high school in Newport Beach. Um, and before that, I lived in San Diego with my mom and I moved to live up in Newport Beach with my dad because he had uh, more more like financial success. And that was kind of part of the reason why I chose that because I thought that was the, the gateway to creating closer friendships that people were just overlooking me because of my uh, socioeconomic status before. So kind of a long-winded answer there, but there was a lot to unpack underneath that. And it's like, when you can look back, it's obvious to see, you know, like why you made that choice because you literally have this one friend, you're a child who feels kind of disconnected from most people, but then you do make a friend and then the friendship has to end over something that you probably really didn't even understand much at the time anyways, Mm -hmm. but you, you understood it enough, but not fully. And then that's probably why you made that decision to go to the school you went to, because at this point, it's like, well, hell, this is the only way I'm going to make friends if I'm, you know, in this position. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense when you, you know, kind of look back on it. Right. Did you, how long did you, you know, struggle with that? Um, You know, did it, did it continue through high school or college? Is it something you're still kind of, um, dealing with like in terms of what's your relation relationship with that because that's kind of like you know you're kind of like one of your first insecurities like how long did you kind of manage that and deal with it Mm. and are you are you talking about the insecurity of being seen as poor yeah 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 um i think it's so i think of that as more of like a scarcity mindset in general of of uh, relating to being poor. And I think I, I felt that for a a decent amount of time and it showed up a lot as never wanting anyone to see me in financial distress. So I got really good too at always creating my own finances, having a job since I was like 15 and, and just working a lot and never really wanting anyone to see me in, financial distress or not having uh, enough money or even when I would be shopping in like a store or something, never wanting to ask. I have one of my best friends says to always ask if they're having a discount right now. And I remember when she told me that a few years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, I would never want to ask that. And it was because of the story 
that I had of what it would mean to ask for a discount, to be seen as a person who needs that. And um, so it's something that I'm a lot more conscious of now and I have a lot less shame about now because I've done work around it and created that awareness of it. And also just like created the awareness of asking for a discount doesn't have to mean anything about you at all or not having the financial means to do something doesn't actually have to mean anything about you. It could just be a, a neutral thing. And yeah, so now it's it's not something that I think it really impacts me or my decision-making, but it was definitely there in a nuanced way throughout my life of really just this self-preservation, self-protection, independence-creating mechanism. Are there any other situations in childhood, high school that they don't necessarily have to be the same as that one, but maybe layer it to kind of push you? Because obviously I know you as the adult version of you and I see you with, you know, an immense amount of drive and, you know, determination. And what I'm trying to figure out is what other causes have kind of created that. If, mm-hmm. if there's anything else, you know, so do you have any, any other stories or instances from the past that also kind of drive you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the drive and the motivation, because I think that that's part of my story too. And something that I'm continuously creating more balance and awareness around because uh, in addition to, and this is a multi-layered thing, it's not just about that friend from junior high, but in addition to that experience with that friend from junior high who who left me because of uh, where I lived, I also started to learn that in order to get people to like me, I could be a leader. And if I was a leader of organizations and people were seeing me as somebody to look up to instead of down on, then I was able to really create connection and be seen as somebody that other people wanted to get to know. And so that became a big part of my identity and even still is to this day of always being the independent one who would step up and who would be creating things and who would um, just be striving for achievement and I noticed that whenever I would achieve something, I would just feel like I got the kind of love and validation that I was searching for for a long time in my life. And so for me, uh, the past few years has been a really big reckoning with that concept of using achievement as a means to get self-validation and approval from other people. Uh, because I realized that the more that I was trying to achieve things and sometimes to the point of burnout or exhaustion, I was actually becoming more disconnected from myself and was seeking achievement, not because I actually wanted it, but because it was kind of filling this void of belonging and love and, and, uh, connection with people. And so I started learning, how can I get all of those things in more productive or healthy ways where I don't have to abandon myself? I don't have to sacrifice my myself or a piece of who I am in order to get that. Um, so that's been something that I've been a lot more conscious of over the past few years, but definitely a big part of my story. Something that I'm trying to introspect on myself and figure out, because uh, I relate to you in a lot of ways, is when people look at you and you know they often they see you as you know a leader creator you know um 
people actually always contact me and they always say, hey, I know you're busy, but, mm-hmm. and it's like people lead with that. They're like, I know you're busy, but, yeah, I know you're busy. You know, my friend, he called me this morning and he had tried to call me this past week, he tried to call me three times, but each time he called me, I wasn't available. And when we got on the phone, he's, he goes, you know, uh, you're a hard person to get a hold of. And it's one of those things that I am trying to understand the root cause of within my own life, but also with others, because I think I have a good balance of, uh, you know, work and not working and doing other things in life than just work. But also, like, work really drives me. The things that I do for work really drives me. Like, I really like my mm-hmm. business, and I really like the things that I do. So uh, I really like to allow it to drive me and to push me. What do you think, you know, and this is an, another conversation I was having with a friend who recently lost her job because of corona, and she's really lost her identity because um, mm-hmm. she really has her identity in her job. Um. What do you think about that? Uh, people who have their identity in their job, you know, how do you, do you feel like you have, I mean, your business is your name, you know, how do you, how do you feel about that? How, how do we, or should we try to arrive at, you know, our quote unquote identity of self? Mm, yeah, I love this topic and such a great question too. I think I was just talking about this with some of my students yesterday because I think it's such a pervasive part of running a business. And like you said too, even my business is under my name. So it's like, how do you not connect your yourself and your identity to your job when that's the case? And for me, what I realized, because I I did that exact thing, I I really put all of my self-worth into my business for uh, several years. And when something didn't go well in my business, when a launch didn't pan out, when we got an email that was less than kind, then it felt like a personal jab. It didn't feel like something that was separate that I could manage. It was like something that actually was affecting me personally as a human. And so what I think we get to strive for instead of this codependent, because it really is this codependent relationship with our business. If something happens in our business and we take it personally, I think that's codependency. And so what we can strive for instead is wholeness. And I think that comes from actually having other things in our lives that matter to us, where we we get our identity from beyond just being a CEO or a creator or podcaster or whatever it is that we do. And having these other facets that create who we are. So for me, a lot of that was leaning into where can I create more friendships or relationships or connection with other people instead of just like sitting at my computer on a Friday night working on my business? Or how can I tap into my creativity more by um, creating things and using that not as a way to like come up with a business idea, but just creating things for the fun of it? Where can I tap into other sides of myself that I value that maybe are being wrapped up into this one entity? And I think the same can be said too for anything really. Like if you have a relationship and that's where your whole identity is, then it's like if that person doesn't text you when you want them to, then you might feel really crappy about that. So just being conscious of searching for wholeness instead of searching for your identity in any one entity, person, organization, whatever it is. 
so for you searching for wholeness is like really going outside of you know just the business and just looking at the different pillars of life and and where you can like check boxes like with your friendships and you know you mentioned like friday night being on the laptop you know i don't know if people really understand this but when you really get a good thing going that you've created that literally depends upon your effort and the efforts of your team it actually gets really easy to isolate yourself in a way uh friday nights saturday nights you know where people are getting together doing things and you're you're tapping in you're tapping into something related to the business especially when you really like it it's really really hard to uh find that balance do you have you mastered that balance yet or is that something you're still working on where where are you at with the you know the balance of life business Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And you're right that it becomes easy to isolate yourself, especially like you're saying when you love it. And if you're creating a business, ideally you're creating something that you love. So it's kind of like, why would I want to take time away from it if I love doing it? But I think there's a lot of benefits to that. But to answer your question about balance, I think I do have good balance. I have good balance with my business. Do I have good balance in my life? I'm not sure about that one, but I do have good balance in terms of filling my life with other things in addition to my business, which I do love so much. But I also practice uh, some creative projects and habits that I have. I make sure to spend a good amount of time with friends and people that I care about. I also have a lot of self-connection practices that I do on mostly a daily basis. So I do feel like I've got balance in terms of the wholeness factor, a a well-rounded life. But in terms of balance in general, I was thinking yesterday that sometimes it feels like I'm on a treadmill and I can't turn the treadmill off. Like I'm always doing things. I'm always learning something new. I'm always catching up with a friend. And that's something that's been more profound for me lately of wanting to create balance with myself and just having some spaciousness and carving out more silence, more time for nothing. Because I think that those times are actually when we connect to ourselves and and fully recharge and rest as opposed to just filling all of our free time with like an activity. So that's something that I've been pondering more and um, wanting to create more spaciousness in my life. How do you feel about that? Do you have spaciousness in your life? Well, I have to. I'm forced to, to be honest. Uh, So the parameters of my life living in Arizona right now, it's summertime. Summertime in Arizona is is restrictive. It's kind of like the Midwest in the winter. Not extreme, as extreme as the Midwest in the winter, but there's a restrictive element to it where, you know, if you're out, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, trying to go for a walk or really do anything, it's it's not going to really be a fun experience because it does get hot in Arizona in the summertime. Um, from, what is that, pretty much September through May, I mean, the weather is perfect. It's perfect weather all day, all night, perfect. No complaints. Um, but the summers get hot. It's a, it's a desert terrain. Um and so there's a restrictiveness there that for me being a person who loves working out, I love going outside every day. I love going for a walk every day. 
um, I struggle every summer. I struggle in every Arizona every single summer. Um, and so I do have, I have more space than I want to actually, uh, if that makes sense, because I want to be doing more Mm. physical fitness. I want to be doing more training. I want to be outside more. I want to be, uh, you know, for going for walking more things like that, riding my bike more. And, you know, with COVID, you know, this podcast will probably come out in about six weeks, six or seven weeks. So just speaking on the COVID situation as of early July, uh, Arizona just went into the second lockdown. And for me, um, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the lack of information. I feel like that the government has provided. I don't like how it is, you know, how these, these politicians just wake up and however they whatever chart they're looking at or whatever they're seeing, they just make these snap decisions to change people's lives just like that. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I totally, I totally understand that their position is to quote unquote protect us. But in my opinion, if you're going to protect us, there's a lot more information and a lot more subjects that need to be talked about. Just the subject of the things they tell us, wash your hands, wear a mask and do six feet apart. That alone is not going to keep us healthy. Like we do need to be talking about our immune system and what what we're eating and the the foods that are available to us. We do need to talk about how being isolated is not good for people's mental health. And you have people who haven't seen friends and family who are suffering. You have people who, Mm -hmm. you know, people who have completely lost their jobs and they can't see anybody. So they have no they have no money coming in. They can't see anybody. They can't do anything. They can't leave. Some people are terrified of it. Some people aren't. And, you know, like just being in Arizona, they just close the gyms. So I'm just curious because I haven't been given the information from them, but like, I don't know if all the gyms are, you know, true vectors for COVID, but what about, I I work out at a small private gym where there's about five people at a time. Why do we have to close? You know, why do we have to close? And for us being in Arizona, like I said, you're not really going to be able to go outside to work out or even just get a nice walk in unless you get up in the the morning, nice and early. So the gym was like, at least for me, the gym was a safe haven. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always, always has been. It's always been a healing place for me, a safe haven. So, I mean, if someone can give me the data and the information and they can say, hey, this gym has cause X amount of people to get COVID or whatever. I understand, but I haven't been given that. I I just was told, oh, the gyms are bad. And the question that really, the next question is, okay, so you open the, I mean, you close the gyms back and then there's other businesses that are still open. The mall is open. There's way more people in the mall than in the gym. So I'm just confused and I just don't understand how people just make these snap decisions with one without explaining it to us because their decisions directly impact our lives. Right. Um, I don't understand how they can do this without explaining it to us in detail and giving us the data. 
Um, so I do have a lot more space in my life <laughs> than I want to right now yeah. because of COVID and because of, you know, living in Arizona and it's now summertime. Yeah. So for me, what I'm trying to figure out is actually how I can fill my calendar with very like productive and useful things and not necessarily just business wise, but just literally like productive, like productive for my social life. And when I say social, I think sometimes when you say social life, I think people think like going out partying. That's not what I'm, that's not the context I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually just sitting and talking with someone, just having a conversation, you know, getting on the phone, talking to my people back in Chicago or actually seeing people, you know, actually seeing people like 4th of July. We had a small get together for the 4th of July. It was, I mean, it was one of the best things I ever did. It was, I think it was like six or seven of us. We got together at one of my friends' house and I was just so happy to be around people mm-hmm. to just be, or I mean, it's people that I know, people that I often hang out with, but we haven't done anything because we've been on, you know, Corona lockdown. Right. And so we did this like pool party and we barbecued. Some of the people were vegan. So they did the vegan thing and it was just all love. It was just, you know, a bunch of different races. There was kids. It was just such a beautiful thing. And like, I just loved it. Like, I when I got home that night, I was just so happy. Mm-hmm. I got to just see people and be around people. And um, so for me right now, I'm actually trying to just, like, I need more engagement, more purposeful engagement uh, from a social standpoint. Um, and then also I'm trying to figure out how to manage the heat, you know, manage my relationship with Arizona. Mm-hmm during the summertime because it does present me for my lifestyle. It does present me a challenge. Right. Yeah. And it makes me think too about like, at what point is, does it become diminishing returns with having a lockdown and not being able to see people, especially uh, for me, I live by myself and I had a similar experience maybe a week or two ago where I got to see a group of friends for the first time in like months. And my heart was just booming. I felt so happy and so connected and just so many of the things that I was missing for so long. And so it really does make me wonder, like I get the reason why we're in this lockdown and why we have to be distanced, but we're also herding animals like a herd. And when we're not with that herd, we're not with our community, then it takes such a toll on our mental, emotional probably physical health too. And so at what point does that outweigh the potential benefits of not give, getting COVID, you know? It's, 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 it's an equation, right? Like I always say that our bodies are science experiments and our life is a science experiment. So this is, this is all an equation of different processes. And one of the processes that I can speak to professionally is that we need social interaction and we need to be the Zoom calls, texting, phone calls. Yes, that is a definitely a way to, to stay connected, but that's more of a shadowy connection. It's more of a, you know, distant connection, like being able to hug someone or laugh. You know, if you tell a joke and like I just like push you on the shoulder or tap you or like, you know, lean into you and nudge you like when you can interact with someone on like the physical plane it makes uh from a loving belonging perspective it literally makes us feel like we belong 
like we love. Like, you know, you were talking about being poor at the beginning. You know, one thing that poor people, not all, not all poor people, but I, I know that some poor people do actually have close connections. Some poor people will have close connections with, I have poor people in my family and you'll see like this close knit uh, energy between people and some people for them, their mental health is drastically improved when they have more money, but everyone's mental health is drastically improved when you have solid, secure connection. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that make that makes you feel rich is when you have, you know, friends or partners, partner or partners, whatever you're into, <laughs> and just people you can connect with, you know, and that's the number one thing that I'm just fearful of with this with this COVID situation. I think is is making it uh, worse for some people is that they're not getting that connection. They're not getting outside. They're not getting sun. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not getting enough air. They're not walking enough. You know, you got to think about, let's just say a server, you know, a server or maybe a school teacher. You know, you're probably walking like three to six miles a day and you don't even realize it just from walking around, walking from this class to that class or from table to table or, you know, most jobs, you know, you're going to be moving a little bit. But now with Corona, you're just sitting down, becoming more sedentary. Right. You know, and it's like, no, that's not what we need to be doing. We need to be doing the opposite. Right. Right. It would be really uh, just so impactful if there was more of a holistic way of looking at the risks and looking at the way that we're managing this quarantine lockdown period versus only looking at it from a COVID perspective. Like if we really started to look at it from a just holistic perspective of all of the the risks and benefits of how we're living right now. And, and I think too about really young people like kids or teenagers. I don't know about you, but being a teenager was really hard for me and and I didn't have a lockdown to go through. So I, I know some teenagers right now who are really struggling. And that speaks to me too of like, what what would that experience be like? How would that impact them for years and lifetimes to come? That speaks to me as well. I, I relate to that. Just wondering what these kids are going through. You know, my my little cousin, she's what? six or seven now um i want to say and you know her mom texted the group chat and she was just so sad and upset because the kids had to go back to school and you know they had to like these these kids like literally just kids like they can't play with each with, with each other they can't be near each other there's there's just so many rules mm-hmm. um for the school it's just that's Man, kids, we've all seen it. We've all done it. When you just see your friends, when you get off the bus and you guys are all there together or you get on the bus and see your friend or like that first day of school, you come in and you haven't seen your a few of the friends since last, you know, spring ended. It's like such like a jubilating experience. You're just so happy. Kids love playing with each other and pushing each other and, you know, just being around. I don't know how we're going to go back to school across the whole country at, you know, the way things keep going, where it's like, 
just COVID just everywhere. <laughs> I, I just don't, I just don't get it. And it's like, I just feel for these kids. Like, how, what are they going to do? Like be with their, their boring parents all day. That's, that's not fun. Right. Right. And thinking about like, what kind of trauma must this be creating inside of them that they're basically the subconscious belief they're being indoctrinated with is that being in community is unsafe, that your best health and and happiness is when you withdraw from other people. And I can just see that sort of mindset, even on just an unconscious level, maybe they consciously know that that's not true, but on an unconscious traumatic level, how would that show up when they're an adult or when they're going out into community or leadership positions. I'm just curious how this whole thing, especially if it lasts for like a couple of years, will impact the way that they show up for the next generation. That's a great question. I'm curious to see that myself. How is Los Los Angeles handling? Um, Mm. No, let's not talk about LA. Let's talk about how you living in LA are handling you know, how are you managing it? Hmm. I think part of, because I've worked from home for seven years, I feel pretty good. I uh, Not a lot about my daily schedule has changed because I'm still working from home. And for better or worse, I would say that the community that I live in is not, uh, there's still people who are out and about. It doesn't feel like a ghost town. And I think that actually has really helped my my mental health and my joy of just being able to go outside and like see people, <laughs> even if I don't know them, it's, it still feels really nice, like some sense of normality. And, uh, I do try to get outside every day and get some sunshine. So I'm feeling like I'm, I'm hanging in there and it's, I do feel a little triggered every time somebody says that they have so much time in quarantine because I'm like, I have no time in quarantine, (laughs) but I I have been finding some space to learn new things, to take some courses and uh, to just engage myself more instead of like sitting in quarantine, watching TV or something like that. So that has felt really good too. So as much as I really do miss being in community and especially things like concerts or dinners with friends, I really do miss those types of things. We we also have retreats coming up for a program that I run and we have to do those virtually. So that uh, kind of makes me sad that we won't be able to do those in person. So there's some sense of loss, but as a whole, I feel like I'm finding the new normal for the time being. But I once once concert venues open up, then I think my soul will just be on another level of happiness. It's almost hard to even fathom society being that open again but man you know know. remember when we used to be able to go to like the movie theater what a what a long time ago i know (laughs) isn't it hard to think of that happening i don't know yeah it is let's go with you you mentioned dinner and you mentioned a concert Mm -hmm. so let's go with dinner first if you were setting up a dinner what are like two restaurants uh that you just love that you love love to eat at There's one, let's see, my dog might get a little feisty because he hears the mailman. Uh, There's one in Venice called Superba that I really love. They just have really like 
beautifully crafted food and they have a really big open area where you can eat. So I actually went there the other day. There was literally nobody there, (laughs) but I just ate outside, had a glass of wine. It was really fun. And uh, that's one. And then another one that's kind of a similar vibe. It's also in Venice area. It's called Rose Cafe and it's just beautifully decorated. They have an indoor outdoor space lots of little string lights. So I love both of those places. So when you when you eat, you're paying attention to like the decor, the lighting, the setup, the aesthetics of the place. You're not just judging it off of just the food alone. I think the decor is almost more important to me, especially not even just the decor, but the vibe especially if I'm going to be sitting there for a while. Like if I'm going, I I like to work from restaurants sometimes in the middle of the day just to get out and be in a different place. And so the vibe is important to me. What's their outdoor patio like? What's the lighting situation? What's the furniture like? I, I think I'm a very aesthetic person. And so I look for the decor in a lot of different places. Hmm. Speaking of aesthetics, you have not only a program, but you've also leveraged Pinterest uh, for your business. Mm. And Pinterest is, you know, a a powerful place where a lot of different aesthetics are shared. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that journey, because there's a lot there. And I want my my listeners to know uh, about your business and, and some of the things you've crafted over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So you want me to talk about business or Pinterest? Well, I know that Pinterest, you've leveraged it for your business. So really just, you can just segue it to whatever feels natural to you, kind of just bringing my listeners to know about how you've used Pinterest, about your business, kind of how the two are intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started my business originally seven years ago when I was an English teacher in Japan. And I was, I think this has sort of been a theme actually of our conversation, but I was really searching for a sense of belonging and community. I I didn't feel like I was getting that when I was living in Japan. And so I started this website that was basically a blog and it was meant to help me find an online community to share some of my thoughts and creativity and ideas and lessons I was learning. And the blog ended up starting to gain some traction. People started reading it and I ended up really falling in love with it. I had no idea that blogging was a thing. Like I did not know that there was this whole online world where people had businesses. Stumbled into that. Eventually started a web design business, which was my first foray into entrepreneurship and uh, was getting clients through my website and my blog. And at the time too, I was using Pinterest as a tool to drive people to my blog posts. And once they were on my blog and reading my posts, Then they found my web design studio and uh, hired me or or reached out. Some of them did. And so I kind of stumbled into this process where I was attracting potential clients and attracting readers of this website and then able to grow my web design business. So uh, from there, I had that web design business for a couple of years and then realized that my true passion is in teaching and coaching. And so I launched my first online course about Pinterest marketing because it was such a pivotal tool to acquire new clients and and email subscribers especially. And so that was my first course that I launched back in 2015. And since then, 
that's become what my business is now is education for online entrepreneurs. So I don't do web design anymore. And I just do online courses and coaching programs, retreats, all of those types of things on a lot of different topics. But that was kind of where it all started was basically by accident and out of necessity of searching for this community that I was I was longing for. I think a lot of great businesses start that way where we're longing for something. And so we decide to just create it ourselves. And then if you keep following the path of alignment, then it eventually leads you somewhere pretty good. And one of the most powerful things about what you're sharing is really, we kind of have to take a step back to actually see it. You were teaching in Japan, doing something that you liked. And then that led you somehow to doing something that you ended up loving a little bit more, uh, teaching. But really what changed was how you were teaching and who you were teaching, but you were a teacher the whole time. And it just, you just went through a little shift. You went from teaching in the school to then kind of teaching your own thing to a few people, then your own thing to some people, then your own thing to a lot of people. And, you know, you were doing web design and now you're in the education side of things. And I think it's very important that we kind of take a, a second to realize that sometimes when we're in these like transition phases, we get so stressed out because we want to be that, like at that next phase, like, well, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Not to say that you didn't have any of that, but you really allowed yourself to like go through the changes and you, you leveraged it, you know, you leveraged every little change to the next change. And I think that's crucial. I think that's very, very crucial for our journeys like for us to free our energy, like we have to understand that we're going to have to leverage what we're doing, but we're also going to have to allow these changes to come. When did you have any fear when you got the blog going, you had the courses going and you had your job and you were making that transition to, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and then you were getting rid of the teaching job. Like how did that part of your journey work? And was there any fear? Was there anxiety? Was there struggles? Talk to me about that part. There wasn't a lot because I never went into it with the intention that it needed needed to happen, needed to happen by a certain date, needed to happen by a certain number of like financial success, amount of financial success or followers. It was more of just something that brought me a lot of joy and I just kept pursuing it instead of like putting the expectation on it for it to look a certain way or or hit a certain amount of success. So I think because it happened pretty organically and naturally and there wasn't that pressure on it, I didn't feel a lot of the fear and the stress. But every time that I would up level in some way, like if I was raising my prices or the first time I launched an online course or the first time that I collaborated with somebody who I felt like was better than me or had a bigger following or something, definitely fear would creep in. I think each of those moments was like an opportunity and an invitation for me to take the next step. If there's this image of a staircase, it's like stepping onto the next stair, the next step, um, and just continually growing. So yeah, it was more in those little moments of seeing uh, myself expanding into something that, that did kind of scare me. 
So the business that you run today, obviously business businesses evolve and change and shift, pivot. Uh, how long the business that you run, you've mentioned seven years, but how long the business that you're running today, how long has it been the platform that it is now? As far as like what you offer, what you do services wise, like how long has it been what it is? It's kind of been five years but it's also, I think in the past year, we've been through a lot of an evolution and, and pivoting. So we still have a lot of the same programs that we've had for the last five years in terms of our courses and the business strategy side of things. But in the past year, especially, we've really shifted into tackling mindset and personal transformation and healing in addition to business strategy. And, and really we're veering even more into that space because what I discovered after teaching these online courses and doing coaching and consulting for entrepreneurs for four years, I realized that I was giving people all the strategies and I knew the strategies worked and they worked for, for people who used them. But a lot of people would go through and they'd watch a course and then they wouldn't do anything or they would implement some things, but they'd like cleverly leave out other things that are really important because they were really afraid or they would get in their own way or their mindset would be holding them back or they'd be afraid to be seen. So they just wouldn't do something. And so I started to notice that if I wasn't teaching that side of things, I was neglecting how they were showing up in the world, their leadership, the stories that they inherited from childhood, then I wasn't actually helping them become the the biggest leader that they could be, the CEO of their company. I wasn't helping them really create the kind of success that they were capable of. And so that's why we've been shifting a lot more into helping people with that side of things. Because I think that that's actually where most of the success comes from. I was actually joking with one of my clients a month or two ago about how everything you need to know about creating a seven-figure company, I could probably write down on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper strategy wise, but the stuff inside of us is what actually holds us back from getting the kinds of results that we really crave in our business. And that's where the real work comes from. How are you showing up? Who are you being? And is that in alignment with the kind of success and results that you want to be creating in your life? When we were talking about COVID, fixing COVID, fixing our approach to it, we brought up the word holistic. And now, as we're talking about business, being a teacher of entrepreneurs and helping them, again, we are talking about having a holistic approach. Having approach of looking at the whole instead of one particular part. Mm -hmm. And I commend you on that because I, I feel so aligned with you uh, from that aspect because people... I notice as a observer, I notice that people want very specific goals or they want very specific things, which there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to achieve a lot of the things that people claim they want, there oftentimes is more work that needs to be done than just that specific goal. You know, I'll just use my own life as an example. You know, I lost 20 pounds this year so far. The only reason I had to lose 20 pounds is because I got hurt last year at the end of the year. So for four months, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. Um, 
and I talked about this on your podcast. Uh, your podcast is called "Say It For Me." Is it limit limitless limitless? I always mess that word up. <laughs> Say it again. Limitless life. Limitless life. There we go. So definitely, guys, check out uh, Melissa Griffin on the Limitless Life podcast. I was one of the recent guests on there. We talked about my my groin injury on there, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that. I had to lose the 20 pounds because I gained the 20 pounds at the end of the year, but it was much harder to lose. You know, I had to really, really shift my mindset. I had to look at the holistic behaviors. I couldn't just look at, oh, I just need to work out more. No, no, that wasn't, that wasn't the solution. It was a really a holistic approach to, I was really examining sleep, hydration, routine, what was available to me, what I was utilizing my consistency. And People want to be successful in business. People want money. People want to secure the bag. People want to be okay. This is what I hear from people. They want to be financially free. This is what I hear. Uh, but in my in my opinion and in my experience, like it can't just be let me focus on money. Let me focus on money. Let me focus on money. Because it's such a linear, like laser focus that you miss the big picture, the holistic picture. Hmm. Yeah. And go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and when you only focus on money or the, the external markers of success, quote unquote success, I think it's pretty subjective, but when you only focus on that, then you may create that you might create financial success. And I had this as part of my story where I created a, a lot of financial success. And then I realized I was actually miserable because I wasn't creating internal fulfillment. I was just creating external markers of what society deems as successful. And so I think what you're saying is so important because if we're only going after financial success, it's kind of like the holistic thing. Like, are you actually happy? Are you fulfilled in the work that you're doing or is it just successful? What, what kind of lifestyle do you want? What are your emotions like? All of those things. Do you feel like you have a Uh, that sense of wholeness where your identity isn't just wrapped up in the finances, but it's also in relationships and hobbies and all of those other things, health. So yeah, I I think it's such an important topic that when we don't just strive for financial success, we strive for success and define what that means for us in all other areas of our life, then, then we create real fulfillment, real happiness, real, real success. You used to do income reports uh, on your blog. I think you did it for one calendar year. Could be wrong. It was yeah, one roughly calendar a year. You year. Did yeah, roughly a year. What was your reasoning for starting that? Uh, and when you completed it, how did how did it feel? Hmm. Well, it's interesting because I I didn't necessarily complete it. It wasn't like I went into it with a the mindset that it would be for a calendar year. So I'll tell you why I stopped doing it. Uh, in a second too, but I started doing it for a few reasons. One was because at the time there were a couple people who were releasing income reports and this was years ago. I think I I stopped doing them in 2016, but there were a couple people who were releasing income reports. They had online businesses and I found them super inspiring because I mean, if you wanted to be a lawyer or you wanted to be a journalist or something, you might be able to go online and search what's the average salary of a lawyer in this city. 
and you could kind of get a sense of what's possible. But for an online business, you have literally no sense of what is possible to create because it's such a new industry, especially for content creators and people who are creating online courses. And so I wanted to give people some semblance of understanding of what the expenses are, because I also listed out everything we spent money on. What do you spend money on? Was it worth it? Uh, How do you make money? What are the different income streams? Because we have several income streams we'd be earning money from. And it just gave people more of an understanding of how they could set up their businesses, what they could spend money on, what's even just possible for them in an industry that is fairly new. So that was one thing, to just add more clarity. And then another thing was that all of the people that I saw who were creating these income reports were men. And I thought that was powerful because it was helpful for me just to get an understanding of of what was possible. But I also felt like there needed to be a female voice in there to give the other women online some inspiration of, of what they can create so that they don't have to think, well, maybe it's just these men who are able to create successful courses or, or brands and that they had an example that they could follow and they could relate to in a different way. So those were some of the bigger reasons why I decided to do those income reports, just to be transparent with people. But then I, I ended up stopping them about a year later, uh, partially for security reasons. Uh, My business went through a lot of growth in the time that I was doing those reports. I think the first one that I did was July, 2015. I think it was like $12,000 that month. And then the last report I did was December, 2016. And I think we did like at least a couple hundred thousand dollars. We did a launch that month. So it was, it was more than usual, but it was like, we grew so much in that time and I wasn't expecting that. And so there started to be some security concerns about uh, some people who are kind of trying to scam us. But that was just one part of it. Another part was that I felt like I was feeding the culture of financial success being the only thing that we should be striving for. And that was really the larger reason why I stopped doing them. Because I would get questions from people all the time about wanting to grow their revenue and having that be their biggest goal and using my income reports as inspiration for working super hard and hustling. And I just felt guilty. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm part of this culture that's making these people think that if they just hit a certain financial goal, then, then they would be happy. And meanwhile, at that time, 2016 was like a reckoning for me (laughs) because I was really unhappy and yet my business was thriving. So I decided to stop doing them largely because I didn't want to feed the story that you need to make more and more money, that that should be your goal. I wanted to flip the story and start talking about what else will bring you joy and happiness and fulfillment in your life beyond just focusing on the finances. So do you ever struggle with that as a creator and as owner of a company where you know that you have particular skills, you know that your company has a particular niche and offers particular services, but you have such a holistic view of the world and you you realize that, uh, you know, there's, I'm not the type of person that shames, you know, making money. I don't, I don't shame running a business. Like I, if I don't run my business, I don't eat. That's the way I see it. It's, it's a necessity. Um, but there is more things in the world than just, you know, making money or being popular, being seen, like 
there's so many more important things like just peace of mind. <laughs> like I love having peace of mind. I love feeling like I'm safe. Like no one's going to come in my house, mm. you know, and, and do something just, you know, cause I've lived in, in places where, you know, one of my biggest fears is home invasion. It's one of my biggest fears. Cause I've lived in places where that was a reality. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can't even sleep because of it. Cause I'm, I'm have, I'll have issues. Like I'll hear something outside and I'll get up and I'll investigate the whole house. <laughs> I'll turn on you know, every light I'm looking under, I'm checking. I just gotta, I just gotta check. Like when I have peace of mind and I can sleep comfortably, it's one of the most important things to me. So how do you, how do you find that balance of finding some of the other, you know, morals that you're into and some of the important things that you care about, um, but then also realizing like, hey, guys, like we have this company, we have this niche, we have a we have the knowledge and the skills to teach people like these specific things. And you're the leader of it. So how, how does that like how do you deal with that? Do you have a good balance with that? Do you have a, a process that helps you figure out what to do next, how to pivot as a company? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I don't see it as an either or like I think sometimes when people Uh, talk to me about it, they think it's like either financial success or being like a monk in the Himalayas or something. And, and that's, you either pick one and that's it. Um, and for me, I think it's like finding the integration point for both of those things to thrive because I, I want to create financial success. I have, and I want to continue it. And I like, I like the feeling of that. I, I like, the freedom that comes from financial uh, freedom. I I love creating that. So to me, it's like creating that and how do I also integrate these other pieces of wholeness and mindset and connection and belonging? And so I think that there's an integration point between the two. And for me, the integration point is really what energy is it coming from? Because if it's coming from ego energy where it's like, I need to create financial success and freedom because then I'll get a validation, approval. People will like me. I'll feel like I belong. I'll be able to buy really nice things and then people will like me. Like if it's coming from that place, then it's inherently, I think, not going to create fulfillment. But if it's coming from the place of, I want to create financial freedom because it allows me to be more generous. It allows me to for you, maybe add really nice like software or cameras or equipment to your house so that you feel really safe and secure. Like if it's feeding your values and it's coming from a place not of ego, but of um, impact and self-awareness and connection and self-love, then I think it's just, it's such a different experience of how and why you create financial freedom. It just feels different, feels a lot better. And I think it's a lot more sustainable too, because if you're working on your business from a place of your your values, from what you really care about versus what you want other people to see you as or approve of you for, then it's just more sustainable. It's like you don't have to put up a, a mask and hold the mask there. You can just be yourself. And that's where the real success comes from. Right. And we know people don't like masks these days. 
<laughs> Good one. You nailed that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get in trouble in high school because I used to time jokes perfectly. <laughs> so where do people find you? Because I know they're going to be like, okay, who's this? Who's Melissa Griffin? I need to find her. I need to subscribe to her email list and I need to listen to her podcast. Where do they find you? <laughs> well, I, I sure hope all that's true. Um, well, my website is my name. My name is Melissa Griffin. So melissagriffin.com. And my first name is M-E-L-Y-S-S-A. And I'm pretty active on Instagram as well. It's where I love to share information and lessons and wisdom and all those things. So that is Melissa underscore Griffin and my podcast, Limitless Life. You can find it wherever you listen to this podcast. So check it out. We have coaching episodes that I do, interviews with people who are amazing like Sylvester and then some solo shows of me, but any of those places and we can be friends. Why can't we be friends? Oh, why can't we be friends? Friends. Yeah, yeah. So before you go, though, we need to know, like, you, you, I saved this for last because you, you said it and I was like, no, don't ask, don't ask, wait. Uh -oh. So I've been waiting. You said concerts. You said concerts are going to be <laughs> your thing when it comes back. So what was the last concert you went to? Hmm. And then obviously we don't know what's going to happen, but let's just say there's a particular artist you want to see, even if you've seen this artist, that's fine. What will be your ideal concert post COVID? Oh man. Um, the last concert that I went to, isn't it funny? I'm like struggling to even think what it was. Um, and it's something that I'm like looking forward to. <laughs> I, Oh, maybe it was a Queen concert, which was quite a while ago, but I did go to a Queen concert with my mom and one of my my best friends and her mom. So that was really fun. But what am I excited to go to now? Um, hmm. I, what I'd really love to go to is some kind of festival, like being around the energy of just lots of different types of music and also the creative energy that's at something like that. So I'm, I'm excited for when festivals like lightning in a bottle is one of my favorite ones. It's like a kind of a holistic health and creativity and music festival. So next year, hopefully I'll be able to go to that. Mm, love it. Love it. Well, thank you, Melissa, for joining. We are going to go find you. We're going to find you at melissagriffin.com. We're going to check out the Limitless Life podcast. We're going to find you on Instagram at Melissa Griffin, right? Yep. Melissa underscore Griffin. But yeah, if you search for my name, you'll find me. Melissa underscore Griffin. Okay. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you so much, Sylvester. I appreciate you.